Hello and welcome back to Business of Film. This is episode number 14. Uh, my name is Jesse Eichmann and you are listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. Today we are with Michael John Fiden. Michael uh, is a principal owner of uh, the Carino Media Group based in Amsterdam. Now, you may not know Carino, but I guarantee you'll know this film, uh, The Devil's Double. So today we do a deep dive case study into The Devil's Double. We spend a large portion of this podcast talking about everything from uh, the inception of the movie to uh, packaging it the, uh, of the director, the cast, the financing, the shooting, and the uh, eventual distribution of the film. So uh, really cool, in-depth uh, conversation with Michael. He's an awesome guy, uh, lots to share. And um, if you haven't seen the movie, I'd actually recommend you go out, watch the movie, and then come back and listen to this podcast. Or listen to this podcast and watch the movie. Either way works. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jesse. How are you? Very good. Very good. You are in Amsterdam, are you not? Actually, right now I'm in Antwerp, uh, but it's close to Amsterdam. Um, I'm in prep on another film. Actually, the same team behind The Devil's Double, um, which goes into hard prep in the next month. So we're sort of busy on that. Um, but I do have an office in Amsterdam. That is true. Uh, well, before we go into your, your, your next film, and The Devil's Double, which I definitely want to you know talk about in detail... Uh, maybe we could just kind of back up, just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, sort of how you got started in the business, uh, and a little bit about Karina, which is uh, your company. Well, okay. Um, bit of a history lesson, but I'll, I'll do the best I can. Um, so my name is Michael John Fidun. I'm a producer by trade. However, that said, uh, my producing hat doesn't only entail doing feature films. I have a company together with a couple of other partners, in the Netherlands, Amsterdam in particular. Um, name of the company is Carino Media Group, and we do a lot of cross-media. And what does that mean? Sort of a buzzword. Uh, that means we do essentially a lot of everything, uh, from commercials to music videos to a lot of broadcast work for events. Uh, we produce events themselves. So for, uh, by example, if we had, let's say, an award ceremony, like you would have, uh, like the MTV Awards, we would do something similar in Holland called the 3FM Awards, uh, which is broadcast nationally. We would do the event itself. We would do the design for the event. We would do the broadcast for the event, for TV, for internet, and for radio. Um, and we would do a DVD if needed as well. Um, so we're a multifaceted, multitasking sort of company. And the reason we do all of this at Carino is because we believe that one discipline can actually influence and uh, help other disciplines. So by example, again, our drama and film activities help uh, enhance, let's say, the music videos we do or the commercials we do or, or events that we do. We bring, you know, sort of a cinematic, let's say, feel to certain, you know, uh, visual aids that are on screens. So that's essentially where I come from. Um, when, did you, the, when did you start Carino? How, how long have you been running the company for? Carino has been up and running for roughly 10 years, and it's been, you know, an upward climb like anything. Um, the reason, actually, we got into cross-media in the beginning was because we realized, uh, being based in Europe, that we couldn't immediately make money off feature films. It was just, you know, something that we had to build up towards. So we ended up doing a lot of other services 
to maintain an overhead. Now, what's happened just by you know, sheer coincidence is that the other services have actually taken off really well, especially our, um, let's say, event and broadcast department, uh, for which we just opened an office in L.A. for. Um, but the other workload just, you know, is continually building and building and building, and that has grown over a 10-year period. Um, and in between those other projects, we do more long-term projects like feature films or, you know, uh, drama for local markets in, in the Netherlands. Yeah, well, what, I, what I love about that, that model is, and I think it comes back to just the length of time it takes to get a feature film off the ground, is that you've, you know, you, you, you've got the infrastructure. You, how many editing bays do you have? I, I remember walking through your office, it was just like, an, like a ridiculous amount of editing bays. Yeah, well, because we, we sort of operate under trying to do everything in-house, um, so, you know, or buzzwords like vertically integrated, um, but we do, you know, development, production, uh, post-production, obviously, and everything else in between. Um, and because, as I said before, a lot of the other work that we do has sort of taken off over the last 10 years, it required that we do editing in-house, and it's just more cost-effective that way. Um, you know, hiring an editor for a month is obviously cheaper than hiring them on a the day price. Um, and so the editing base grew. So right now I think we have, I don't know, somewhere about 10, 11 editing suites and a cinema where we do grading and obviously bring our clients in there too. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, I, you know, the, 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 the fact that you've got all of that in-house, you know, obviously enhances the ability to get any kind of dramatic work through the pipeline. But I guess uh, let, let me go back to the, the beginning of the Devil's Double because I, I, I think that's just, just such a wonderful story and kind of dovetails into, you know, the reason why you've got all this other infrastructure to help support the dramatic and, and vice versa. When did the Devil's Double start? Like, what was the first incarnation of that film? Uh, well, that's obviously a feature film that... Uh, we completed a couple of years ago and that begun, I think it was a, let's say all said and done, probably a six to seven year journey from conception to, you know, finally being distributed. So it was quite a long while for that film in particular to get off the ground. And I think the reason behind that is obviously the nature of the film. Um, it's independent. It's, uh, you know, requires, you know, quite a hefty budget to do properly. Um, and there's a lot of visual effects work in it. And, you know, it needed to take its time and, and grow and come to fruition. Uh, again, we wouldn't have been able to do that without the infrastructure that we have in Amsterdam. So that helped tremendously. But so, to answer your question, I would yeah. say six years, yeah. Six years. And, and did you start, uh, if memory serves, originally you had uh, optioned a book? Is that right? The whole thing was based on the life of... Uh, uh, the film is is a is based on the life of a man by the name of Latif Yahia, who was the uh, double for Uday Hussein, or his 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 fide, as they as they call it, uh, which is basically a a body double. Saddam had five of them, and Uday had one. And this guy escaped Iraq, uh, wrote a book, and we had read the book in the office, passed it around, decided to inquire whether the rights were available. They were available, uh, film rights, and we jumped on them. And we partnered up with a few other people in the Netherlands to make that financially happen. 
Um, one of them by the name of MJ Rechsteiner uh, from Staccato Films and um, moved forward, contracted a writer and, and put the script together, went through numerous drafts, a talented writer by the name of Michael Thomas, um, and eventually found a great director by the name of Lee Tamahori. Now, how how did you attach Lee? What, what, what was the process of getting, because I think this is such a... a you know, the, the process for which you're going through is, you know, obviously a typical process, but the the how you went about getting, you know, such an amazing director as Lee Tamahori attached, I, I, I'm curious to know, I've never heard that story. How did you go about getting him involved with this project? Um, well, at the time, we were obviously looking for directors and we had um, contacted various agencies and, and or people we knew directly. Um, and it was, it's really just a, a matter of sending out the material, seeing if it really clicks with somebody, having, you know, a good conversation with them and seeing, you know, how everyone reacts to that director uh, in, a, in a package situation. So Lee, you know, clicks really well with the material. Um, he gave a great sort of pitch on, on, you know, his view of the script and how he would sort of do it. And... Um, you know, I think the difference was, as opposed to everybody else, Lee sort of isn't afraid to to grab on to, let's say, the more violent aspects of that story and to to use them to his advantage, not just for the sake of violence, but to make use of them. And he wasn't afraid of that. And that was a very convincing pitch, for lack of a better description. Was it difficult to get it into Lee's hands in the first place, or did you just straight up send it to his agents or managers? Um, well, I think... Like anything, uh, a good script goes a long way. So I think story really drives a project, in, at least in the first place, to get everybody enthusiastic. And we had a great story, and we had a great script, so it really spoke for itself. We didn't really need to you know, put a lot of effort into convincing people it was going to work. People sort of got it immediately. You know, one actor playing two roles. Uh, it's a, a double playing another guy who happened to be in the media quite a bit. Um, it was actually kind of a no-brainer, which was good because there's a lot of work to putting a film together, and that saved us saved us the step of having to, you know, always convince people. So you had an easy-to-sell concept, which is obviously uh, important because that people can wrap their minds around it. Um, when you went out to directors and to agents and started talking about, you know, attaching your director to the project, were you financed at the time? Were you able to make, you know, the financing part of the discussion or was it purely a creative, uh, material driven um, approach? At, at the time when Lee was involved, we were involved with a company, a distributor in the UK. Uh, that deal eventually didn't go through uh, for one reason or another. Um, but, you know, obviously they had a big say in who they would like to the director to be because uh, eventually they also have to sell the film. Um, so I, I think it's a bit of give and take. You try to find somebody who keeps everybody happy. It's it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a, it's a journey. Some names work, some da- names don't, and you, you sort of just keep going until you find something that everyone can get enthusiastic about. Yeah, it's, I think, it's, sorry, please continue, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that, that enthusiasm is sort of the, 
real key to everything. If you, again, if you have a good story and a good script and you are, you yourself are enthusiastic about it, that sort of really does um, rub off onto other people. And uh, certainly if you find a director who feels the same way, it, it sort of has a cascading effect. Um, and, you know, that leads to a sales agent or a distributor who, who equally shares that sentiment. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting, and the reason why I'm I, I don't want to say I'm kind of you know I'm I'm trying to peel away the layers of of, of how you got there is because I think any time you look at the process of you know how you get from point A to you know to point I don't know E or Z on you know the scale of attaching talent and losing talent and reattaching talent and finding a sales company and losing a sales it really is a journey but it you know when you when you kind of peel away the layers it is a little bit of a mystery and you kind of wonder at the end of the day well how did we how did we get here you know where what were the steps that brought us you know from from just having the script to having you know uh, a great director so so once you had Lee attached to the project Mm. um, and that's kind of that's kind of how I'm framing the question is you know once you had the director you got the material uh, and you went out to cast. Uh, were you making pair play offers for your cast? I mean, you have a wonderful actor playing two roles. Um, you know, Dominic Cooper, just amazing. Uh, and you know, was it what was it one of those things where again you just went straight out to him? Was there a bunch of names on the list? He kind of started at the top, went down the bottom. Uh, just talking about the packaging of your cast. Well, I think I think like any film, you go through the day-to-day elements. You you know you 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 break it down. You budget it. You schedule it. You you know you liaise with the casting director. You make your lists. You make more lists. You you know go through those lists and amend and check and you know it's it changed. It's ever changing depending on what films are coming out and and what sales agencies are hyper about in terms of names. Um, for us. Uh, we had interest from a director, which was great. Uh, we had a good script. Um, we had to find some money to put it together um, and to produce the film. So we had to obviously partner up with uh, somebody else. Um, and we went on the hunt for that, really. We, you know, dug our heels in the ground and did the grunt work, which means, you know, going to markets, meeting people, networking, seeing who it fits with. Um, and it's, it can be a tough sell because the Iraq war is, was sort of a, a delicate subject at the time. And we had to convince people that, you know, it, it's, it wasn't a political film. It, it was more uh, an action film. And we had to make people believe that. And eventually along that journey, um, and also thanks to our executive producer, Harris Tolchin, uh, who was our lawyer at the time and who was in, in the involved in the film from a very early stage, he introduced us to a company in Belgium uh, by the name of Corson. Um, and they loved the script. So again, it was just a matter of uh, taking another step in that journey and finding another enthusiastic party who believed in it. And they did. And they liked our you know, uh, decision or they liked Lee's take on it. Um, so it sort of fit like a puzzle. Um, and for us actually even more so because the Netherlands is, uh, next door to Belgium. Uh, we share a common language as well. So, so it was actually very ideal. Um, and they were making international films and we essentially joined up with them. Hang on for one sec. We're going to have to break it. 
for one moment. All right, we're back. We had a small little, uh, uh, what, what, what do we call those? A working glitch where you actually have to go uh, off and do some work? It was a small working glitch where uh, casting needed the, the larger room we were in. Anyways. Uh, fuck casting. Come on. Don't they know yep. we're doing a podcast here? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so uh, let's just pick it up, I guess, from, well, casting. Casting uh, Dominic Cooper. So how sure. did that how did that happen? Uh, you were uh, when you went out to him originally. Did you just send it into his agents? Did you get it to him through a connection? Uh, how did he first pick up the script? Um, he well, we had a uh, cast, great casting director actually um, by the name of Amy Hubbard in the UK, which is a small step away from Holland or the Netherlands and Belgium. Um, so we engaged them for the show and they put together, you know, lists and more lists as it goes. And, uh, Amy Hubbard, remind me, is, is, is Amy and John, are they? Well, John is the father. Amy is the, uh, is, is the daughter. Ah, gotcha. You know, it's funny because we worked with, with John like 10 years ago on trying to cast something and, and he was awesome. So I can only imagine that, uh, Amy is equally amazing. No, they are. They, uh, it's a great family company and, and they're very, um, they're very down to earth and you can get real work done, which is uh, a pleasure actually. Um, so I, I had nothing but a great experience with them and they, uh, they are very good at spotting, at spotting the actors or actresses who are sort of about to break out of, let's say the UK or, or, you know, any other territory. Um, so they're very good at, at looking at that curve. And they put some lists together for us. And uh, one of those guys on the list was Dominic Cooper, um, who I didn't really know at the time, and, and nor did Lee. Um, so we had to see some of his films. And actually, uh, at the end of the day, his performance in his audition uh, uh, blew everybody away. He sort of just nailed it. And uh, it was the type of audition where everyone looked at each other and said, well, that's our guy. We don't really need to look any further. So that's what we did. And um, based on, on his his audition, he got the part immediately. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, once so now you've, so now you've got a full package at this point i you are you fully financed you've got your director you've got your actor was that the last step in the um, puzzle or was there any other before well we were doing production we were doing a lot of things at the same time so of course we we're trying to figure out where we shoot this um so for devil's double in particular it called for uh the doubling of iraq obviously we're not going to go to iraq into the green zone and shoot this no bond company would ever bond us so um we had to find a location that looked like Iraq or was very arid and, um, you know, maybe had some form of incentive or rebate. And we, you know, went through the, the lists of possibilities. And at the time, uh, this is a few years ago already, uh, that was Morocco, Jordan, which was a fantastic country to at least scout and get to know. Um, we looked at the south of Spain. We looked at Tunisia. And we eventually settled on Malta, which, um, oddly enough, is not a, a desert country. It's actually a rock in the middle of of of, uh, of the ocean. So it it sounds at first glance that it wouldn't be possible, but actually, you know, we went down there, uh, did some preliminary scouting, and figured out, yeah, you know, we could sort of make this work. Um, 
they have a film infrastructure. They had a great uh, incentive there at the time. And uh, it was just a matter of, you know, being able to make the numbers work, which we did, and chose that as our, our primary destination. Now, we shot most of the film there, but I must say we added on at the end of the run uh, a couple of weeks in Jordan, because who can resist Jordan with a very minimal crew uh, where we did some pickups there in terms of, you know, grandiose desert shots and, and some driving uh, Mercedes on a road, things like that. So, right. And afterwards, was that like, like, like the opening shot of the film? I think had a, if I, if I recall the film, it was with the opening shot was a big landscape car driving yeah. across. That was all Jordan. So that was all in Jordan. That was, uh, the Wadi Rum desert in particular near Aqaba and, uh, where Lawrence of Arabia was shot, uh, you know, transformers had just been there. We had a great service uh, producer there, uh, a guy by the name of Fadi Saraf who helped us out. Um, so we had a very, actually an, a very pleasant time in Jordan. And in retrospect, I wish, you know, my own opinion would be that we had done the entire film there. Um, it would have opened it up a lot more and made for more, you know, uh, wide landscapes and, and just a, a bigger film. Whereas Malta, because of the nature of, of the locations, we had to shoot with, you know, cropped edges to make sure we didn't, you know, see other things that we weren't supposed to see. So it was limiting in some respects. Was the incentives of Jordan versus Malta and your financiers, did that play decision in the location, choosing Malta initially over Jordan, or was there some other factor there? Well, I would say so. I mean, um, one is part of the EU. Uh, it's close to home. It has a crew base that's been proven. Um, it has an incentive, Malta I'm talking about. Uh, the other has beautiful landscapes, beautiful locations. Um, the crew, you would basically have to bring in most of everything, uh, whether from Beirut or elsewhere. So, there was a lot more cost attributed to doing everything in Jordan. However, the rates would have been slightly cheaper, or so you think in the beginning, until you realize you have to bring in, you know, a lot of your, well, basically all your heads of department um, and their assistants and their other assistants. So it it sort of added up. It was just a numbers crunching game and, and just didn't make it a viable option to do it in Jordan at the time. So... Let's talk production for half a second. What was the most difficult aspect of shooting that movie? Because now you're you're away from home, you're on location, you're spending money probably pretty quickly. What goes wrong? Um, well, you know, we had a long lead up in terms of prep, or, or what I like to call soft prep, which is, you know, we haven't entered hard prep yet, and it's sort of trying to put our our numbers together, doing the analysis of each and every country we can think of that might, you know, help us in, in the budget financially. Um, so we did a lot of preliminary work and that work paid off when we entered into hard prep. Um, so when it came time to shoot, we really had all our ducks in a line and I think it came down more to the creative aspects of Lee and Dominic working together. Dominic, uh, is an actor who has a lot of energy. Um, you know, he's, he gives 150%, um, but he's playing two roles and he's doing it every day and he needs to switch from one character to the other. So I think if there was any worry, at least from my side at the time, it was whether or not, you know, he would, he would be able to cope with those changes and, and the speed at which we were, you know, shooting with him. And, um, obviously, 
I shouldn't have doubted him. Um, you know, it wasn't an issue in the end, and he managed to get through it with stars and stripes. So, uh, of did. course, the, the, my underlying assumption in asking that question was wasn't to say that there was something specific about this film that may may or may not have gone wrong, but that the challenge in filmmaking is that inevitably something usually does go wrong and that part of the Absolutely. job is kind of figuring out how you manage that. So I was kind of, I was kind of asking the question from the perspective of, well, shit, this, this is a big production, you're, you know, you know, what, what, you know, uh, but, but the key to what you said, I think is, is in the long prep. So just if I may, how long were you in soft prep and how long were you in hard prep and how long were you in production? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, we, working backwards, just to give you an idea, we shot the film in, I believe, 50 days, 55 days, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while. Um, however, because of Lee's background as a first AD, it was uh, good to note that we never did one over hour. So we were right on the money every day, which was great. Um, hard prep consisted of 10 to 12 weeks off the top of my head. And uh, the soft prep, that took over a year, actually. Wow. And that year uh, was extremely valuable. It was with, you know, minimal um, people involved. But we managed to do proper budget analysis, proper, you know, scouting, um, really research, 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 you know, where we're going to shoot this, how we're going to shoot this. How are we going to attack one actor doing two roles, you know, from a visual effects perspective? Um, how are we going to recreate uh, the palaces in Iraq? Um, how are we going to, uh, you know, uh, take into account extras that need to look, uh, have that certain look? So all these things that you would normally, let's say, answer a lot of them in hard prep, we did in soft prep. And that, again, that sort of, uh, avoided having major issues as we went into into uh, hard prep, um, but you're right. I mean, something will always go wrong, and little things did go wrong here and there. And then you you know you you pick it up, you you work hard to fix it, and you move forward and wait till the next one hits you. I mean, that's that's the name of the game. So, I. Not sure if memory serves. You did not have a distributor by the time you were done. So you were you were fully financed. You made the movie. Um, you, you've got your investors involved. What is the play at that point with the film in terms of your thinking with respect to festivals, getting this in the hands of potential distributors? I kind of want to now that we're through that kind of production phase. Let's yeah. let's move into this kind of distribution phase of the whole thing sure. where do you where does that process begin for you well the beauty of partnering up with a company like corson is that they have their own sales team they're vertically integrated so in other words they sell their own films um that allows for a lot of FaceTime with the sales guys um and that's that's a pretty valuable thing to have you can spend you know hours trying to figure out you know, five ways of Sunday, how you're going to put this on the market. Um, Lee is also involved in that. And I think actually spun the original, you know, uh, let's do a mob take on this. These are mobsters uh, in, in, in Iraq, essentially. Um, and that sort of crossover of, you know, it's the uh, Scarface of Arabia, as it were. So having that sales team and having that FaceTime leads to, in our case, the Sundance Film Festival, as we didn't have any domestic sale yet. And we were an independent film, and we had completed the film, and we had done a good job, and the film looked good, uh, played well. 
um, Dominic did an amazing performance. Um, so it was a matter of finding the right uh, stepping stone. And again, that was the Sundance Film Festival. And we showed the film and... You know, knowing who was in the audience, we uh, we had hoped uh, for you know equally good reactions, and and there were. And uh, I think by you know late into the evening, uh, we had hoped to at least have a bit of a bidding war on our hands, and and that you know played out to some degree to be absolutely true. Uh, in which case, we you know uh, eventually went into um, into a partnership with Lionsgate, who uh, then distributed the film, and who did a great job. So that's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of like a perfect little story in that respect. It is a perfect little story. I guess, you know, once in a while you get a project and and it sort of goes along. Don't get me wrong. I mean, what I'm explaining now took six years. So you have, I'm sort of really paraphrasing in this quite rapidly. No, no. Uh, the, 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 there's a lot the, of back and forth with, with everybody involved and, and you just, need to grind it out and grind it out and grind it out. But, but, uh, eventually it was a happy ending, um, for and, all the, yeah. And, and that's actually what I'm referring to is that, that process at the end where you, you can take the film to Sundance, there is, you know, a, a, a bidding war or, you know, multiple parties that are interested. I mean, that's what I, every filmmaker, you know, that kind of like the trophy on the wall just to have that happen. And, and the fact that that did happen, uh, especially considering the time, effort and energy that you put into it, yeah, that is kind of like the ice, the icing on the cake. So, were you involved uh, once Lionsgate picked it up? Um, talk about your relationship with Lionsgate and sort of getting the film out there. What what were you guys doing as the filmmakers, producers? Were you you know were were, were they uh, sharing poster ideas with, with you? Were, or was it kind of like you know they're the engine, they know what they're doing? You know, I'm hands off now. So I'm just kind of curious about how involved as filmmakers. And to what degree you wanted to be involved and were involved, and just kind of how that all kind of played out in, in the process from the time when you you sold it and the time that it was actually released. Um, well, let me say this: uh, creatively, on you know, in regards to trailers, poster work, uh, graphic work in general, um, I, all all kudos go to Lionsgate. Um, in fact, the first time that we saw the poster that uh, they put in front of us, I mean, everyone was blown away. You know, only once in a while does a poster strike me as as being you know that high above the rest, and they just sort of hit it right on the head. Uh, Dominic Cooper, completely in gold, on a golden throne with a golden backdrop. Everything is gold, and and it's the devil's double. It it worked perfectly. It worked like a charm, and that was attributed completely to them, and and rightfully so. They know their job. They know their industry, and they are good at what they do. And um, yeah, if, if there's one thing the Lionsgate, I think, just does better than any other distributor. And I, I mean, I, this is just my own subjective view of the field. Is they do artwork really, really, really well. Like I don't know who they have in their art department cranking out posters, but they they never fail when it comes to artwork. It's just, I mean, somehow they nail it, uh, and I'm always surprised by how good it is. So. Uh, when you, when you, I mean, and that poster is just a shining example of that. Well, that, that's right, and they 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 grind it out like everybody else, you know, and they they do the work, and I think that um, you know gives nothing but positive results. Um, so so yeah, that was a healthy relationship with them, and they rolled out the film and. 
And uh, eventually other territories came into play, the UK, Russia. Um, Russia was interesting. We had an interesting um, launch there at a uh, film festival there in which uh, Lee and Dominic and everybody attended. Um, so that was that was a very good good situation to be in. Russia did very well. Uh, the UK did well as, as, as one might imagine with Dominic, uh, in the, in the lead role. So I don't know. It had a good run. We were happy with it. And I guess from a sales perspective was, did, did the film perform at expectation? I mean, how did I, I mean, I suppose we could, I could always just go on to anybody can go on a box office mojo and whatnot, but sure. were, were, you, were you happy with the end result? Just the, uh, from a sales perspective of the film or, or, you know, uh, I mean, personally, yes, uh, you put that much time into it and it, it, you know, gets out there. And, and I think I, I would have enjoyed seeing it in more screens uh, with a little more um, of a wider release in, in some territories. Um, but, you know, uh, on all in all, I think uh, each distributor was happy with the film and and uh, got the results they wanted. So. How important, uh, you, was, how important was digital at that time? I mean, obviously, from two years ago to now, a very different landscape. But at the time, how important was, you know, uh, an iTunes or digital downloads? Uh, I think, I think uh, equally important. It was just starting to rear its head, and uh, we were definitely right there. I mean, we had our film in iTunes, and, and that was, you know, one one window um but you know we we attacked this digitally from the beginning i mean we shot the film digitally uh, using i think i think just when the red epic cameras were coming out um so we shot it digitally posted uh, some distributors received it digitally um you know so it was it was it was good so, first of all, thank you for going into all this information on The Devil's Devil. I think that's just really uh, a very in-depth, uh, certainly the most in-depth case study that we've done here on this podcast. And I want right. to do more of those. And certainly, thank you for, for sharing all that. I mean, that's it's just, it's, it's really cool to hear. And certainly, you know, to take a film, any film, from the beginning of the process all the way through. So, what's next? You said that you were on, you're, you're casting your next, uh, your next movie. Just so. Can, Give us a little peek into what's uh, sure. next uh, for you on the film side. Well, on the film side, uh, as as the Carino Media Group, uh, uh, you know, um, keeps going in in Amsterdam, I'm back in Belgium together with Lee, actually again, uh, the director, together with Corson, uh, who again are producing and financing and has their uh, sales team uh, on top of things. Um, and uh, it's a film which is tentatively uh, titled uh, Emperor, and. Um, I can't say very much about it uh, yet. Uh, I will wait until uh, later, to, you know, for more details to surface. Um, but it is a film that we're very much enjoying putting together, uh, and we'll go into hard prep over the next uh, month or so, uh, with an eye to wrapping everything up uh, in in the summer. So, when you say wrapping up, you're going to shoot this summer on the film? Yeah, we'll be shooting most likely. Uh, towards the end of july it, it should wrap up so you know it's it's in a quite a far stage at this point awesome well i, I can't wait to hear about uh the details in that project sounds interesting uh mm -hmm. and i guess just you know as we sort of wrap up the conversation what are, what are your current thoughts uh because you're based in europe what are your current thoughts about the challenges 
uh, of being European-based, uh, and the and I guess the pluses of being European-based, uh, just because you know we, we have a lot of listeners that are in the UK, and also you know a lot of people and listeners in the US who may be interested in working in Europe. So uh, we're taking the project and you know doing the kind of financing and incentive-based stuff that's available in Europe. So just just kind of like a little bit of a wrap-up. I, sure. I want to I just get your perspective on what it's like being a producer and not being in North America. Um, well, there's a lot of incentive over here, uh, and by that I mean by way of soft money uh, from various film funds in in, in different European countries. Um, so, if you're based in Europe and you want to put a film together, um, you are lucky enough to have a country that provides a certain amount of soft money for your for your film. Um, you can access that, and it's not that difficult to do. You need to have your act together and have a good story and have all your elements in place, um, but it's there, and uh, anyone can do it, and the information is freely available on, on most uh, websites in most countries, um, the Dutch Film Fund um, being one of them, who I think also has a lot of their information in English um, to provide information for co-producing uh, parties. Um, so a lot of films join up within Europe, um, and they co-produce with each other, and there are treaties that that are in place for that. Um, so it's it can become very fruitful, and and uh, I think uh, it has a very healthy atmosphere uh, at this point in time. Now, how does that? You know, what are the drawbacks to all of that? Um, I would say the only real drawback is that you really need to be careful in terms of scheduling. Uh, if you're accessing soft money from one country and it needs to be compatible with another country, you're dealing in different sort of deadlines for said funds and you have to take into account, you know, uh, approval for those funds. So you're essentially waiting on a calendar and you're waiting for things to be determined by other people. Um, so as long as you do your homework and figure out what's compatible and make a proper schedule, you can sort of do quite well and get around that. The rest is really networking and, and going out there and meeting with people, your neighbors really, uh, at various markets. Uh, the Berlin Film Festival, for example, is a prime uh, place to do that, or the Cannes Film Festival, or um, you, know, you name it. So it's, um, it can be good, and uh, it has its drawbacks like any situation. Um, but that's the soft money side of, of financing in Europe. Well, I think we could probably do our, uh, a, a whole entire podcast or, or four or five just on you know European financing. But uh, that's for another day. Uh, for today, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking the time. This, this has been yeah, awesome. We'll, my you know, my have- absolute pleasure. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if anybody wants any more information on our company and, uh, you know, would like to contact me, our, our website has everything on it. Uh, and that's obviously Carino.com, which is C-O-R-R-I-N-O.com. Yeah. And if, uh, uh, and if I may say, if you are a North American producer or a European producer and, you know, want to find somewhere to, to shoot in Europe or in Amsterdam, um, you know. Michael, you're a modest guy, but you know you do run you know one of the largest, if not the largest, company in Amsterdam. So, well, thank you very much. I I, I like being modest, I guess, but um, I will say this: uh, the Netherlands is working on a incentive rebate in uh, for the Netherlands uh, that isn't out yet, uh, but is taking shape and form over the next few months. Um, so, if there are projects out there that uh, you think uh, would be compatible with shooting in the Netherlands, whether it be Amsterdam or otherwise. 
you know, give me a shout. Um, I'm always available. Doors always open. Let's see if we can do business. Are you on? Are you guys on Twitter? Can anybody find you guys, uh, Carino, on Twitter? Carino's on Twitter. Carino's on Facebook. Uh, Carino's on the web. So you know, just from any perspective, is fine. Fantastic. Thanks again, Michael. My pleasure. Speak to you soon.